Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight today. Uh, you who are our rock and our redeemer. We ask you to bless us and strengthen us through your word this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right, so as we mentioned at the beginning of the service, this is the final sermon in our fall sermon series, which has been called Joining Jesus on His Mission. Right? So for this morning, what I want to do is just zone in a little bit on that last word in the title. What comes to your mind in a church context when you hear the word mission or missions? What comes to your mind? I thought maybe, maybe you think of a, like a mission festival or, or a mission Sunday. The idea here is that you'd have a, a missionary, right, from somewhere else in the world who would come to your church and maybe they give the sermon and talk about spreading the gospel. Maybe they give a presentation after church where they show some pictures of like mission work that's happening all around the world. Have you ever been to a mission festival, mission Sunday, that kind of a thing? Maybe. Another thing that I thought of with that word mission is maybe you think of a mission society. And this sounds like an old school thing, but, but it's not. We have, a, we have a mission society that is very active in our synod uh, right now. It's called the Lutheran Women's Missionary Society. It's this wonderful group of women from all over the world, and they hold meetings and conventions and fundraisers, and they give all sorts of support to new missions that are starting and to missions across the world. And in fact, in town is one of those missions because we're a newer church and we've received a number of different grants and support from the Lutheran Women's Missionary Society. So maybe this is what you think of a mission society. Or, one more, maybe when you hear missions, you think of a mission trip. Have you ever been on a mission trip? Yeah. You know anybody that's been on a mission trip? Like Maybe you think of, of youth, but uh, mission trips can be for people of all ages. Maybe it's a group of people that goes to, to Africa or to Haiti or to Thailand, right, or whatever. And maybe they, they dig wells, they, they build bridges, they, they teach Bible schools. I was doing a little bit of research this week and I found it's estimated that American Christians spend more than $1.6 billion every year on short-term mission trips. So, mission festivals, mission societies, mission trips. What does it all have in common? Well, of course, it has the word mission. Uh, what else does it have in common? All of these things are ways of contributing to the spread of the gospel to many more people. But also, all of these things typically are about contributing to the spread of the gospel to many more people someplace else. Right? When the mission festival is over, when, when the mission trip is finished, the participants go back home to their regular non-mission life. But is there such a thing as a regular non-mission life? Not according to Jesus. Right? We've talked about this throughout our whole series. Jesus has made us, when he calls us to be his children, he makes us to be part of his mission the mission of spreading the good news of his love to everybody that we can, <coughs> including people from across the world, but also including the people that surround us on a regular day-to-day -day basis. And yet, 
We face some strong temptations as much as we might support other kinds of missions to ignore the people who surround us on an everyday basis. And this seems to be exactly what is going on in our sermon text, as Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. So, Jesus tells the story, and here is his story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And so, you can picture this poor man lying helpless on the ground, clearly in pain and full of fear, and he obviously needs help. Thankfully, as he's hearing footsteps approach him on the road and hoping it's not more robbers or more bandits, thankfully, it's exactly the person who is surely likely to help him, right? A priest just happened to be coming along the same road. What incredible good fortune. And yet when the priest saw the man, he walked around and passed by on the other side of the road. But the next person coming, another person who surely would be helpful, a Levite, a, a church helper, a temple volunteer, just happened to be coming down the same road. When he came to this place and saw him, he also walked around and passed by on the other side. So as we discuss this parable, for our modern purposes, we're just going to start calling these guys a pastor and a church leader. Okay, so you've got a pastor and a church leader walking by on the road, and these are supposed to be the good guys, the exact people you'd expect to help. Why don't they? First, I'm sure they were thinking about their own safety a little bit. Um, I've been to Israel uh, once upon a time, and I saw the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it's a canyon. It's a very windy, dark canyon with lots of hiding places for robbers. It's not a safe place for anybody to linger for very long. So maybe they're thinking about their own safety. But surely there are some other considerations as well. And you ask yourself, what could have been running through their minds in this parable? Well, being a pastor, I can maybe relate to, we'll call him the pastor, and think of a few things that might have been going through the pastor's mind. Maybe he was late, again, uh, for an important lunch meeting. Maybe he had to get back to his desk to teach a Zoom Bible study. Maybe he had an important phone call with the mission board to talk about his funding. Maybe he was simply reviewing in his head the sermon that he was due to present to his people uh, in less than 24 hours. But whatever the case may be, the pastor was, he's distracted. And no doubt he's distracted by good things, important things, things that were going to spread the gospel, things that were going to contribute to the mission of the gospel and impact many, many people. But not, not this person who was lying helpless on the ground in his way. And the pastor could not allow this person to get in the way of much bigger, more important things that he was doing. How about the, the church leader? Being church members, being church leaders, maybe you can imagine a few of the things that might have been running through his mind. Maybe he was heading off for a busy day at work. He had a busy, important job. It was a job that generated a significant paycheck, and that paycheck was going to be used for very good things. 
supporting his family, giving to the Lord, supporting the spread of the gospel across the world. Or maybe that church leader was on his way to pick up his kids from school, and then he needed to switch places with his wife so that she could have a car to get to a PTA meeting and he didn't want to make her late. Maybe that church leader was going to the pharmacy to pick up a prescription for his son's ear infection. I don't know what he might have been doing. But whatever the case may be, the church leader was distracted. And no doubt he's distracted by good things, important things, good and godly things that would have an impact on the many different people that God had put in his life. But not this person, who was in his way, lying there helpless and bleeding in the road. The church leader couldn't let this guy get in the way of so much bigger and more important things that he was doing. And so it's, it's just very relatable, and it's, it's ironic, I think, how the devil works and how our own sinful nature works, where <coughs> we would always rather support the gospel being spread somewhere else than to the exact people that God has put right in front of us. And we would always more gladly you know, go and share the gospel at a specific designated event or time than just share the gospel all of the time. I think what it really comes down to is that we don't like being inconvenienced. We don't like being inconvenienced. <clears throat> I want to tell you one more story this morning. Um, once upon a time, there was a fine Christian woman who never missed a Sunday at church. Never missed a Sunday. And as she drove to church on Sundays, uh, she drove past a bus stop. And typically, there was a woman there from a very different set of life circumstances. A woman who was sitting at the bus stop with what looked like almost all of her life possessions in a shopping bag next to her. And there was a stop sign next to the bus stop. So it became customary for the two women to sort of wave to each other on Sunday mornings. Well, one Sunday, motivated by a recent sermon series about sharing Jesus with others, the church-going woman did something that for her was very bold. She stopped the car, she rolled down the window, and she invited the woman from the bus stop to come and join her at church. And she came. She picked up her shopping bag, she got in the car, the two of them drove to church together, they walked into church together, they sat in church together, they were listening to God's word together, singing songs together, and everybody in the church was, was noticing, and they were so excited. And this woman felt very proud and very excited because she was doing it. She was being a real-life missionary in her actual own community. The next Sunday, when she drove past the bus stop, the bus stop woman was now standing there with her shopping bag ready, waiting for a ride to church. So she brought her. And the same thing happened the next week, and the next week, and the next week. Along the way, the woman from the bus stop was, was being changed, right? Her heart was being transformed as she repeatedly heard the gospel of Jesus and, and God's love for her. But another change was happening. It was happening to the church-going woman. What was happening was that the novelty was starting to wear off. The excitement was starting to go away. Her Sunday routine was starting to be seriously affected. Because 
instead of praying and listening to Christian music in the car and preparing her heart for worship as she liked to do, she now was kind of enduring conversations with this stranger that she didn't really know. Also at church, instead of being warmly welcomed by all of her church friends and talking about their week and how things were going, she noticed that there was a little bit of a separation now from her customary church friends because right next to her, like a shadow, was always this woman from the bus stop and people didn't know her and didn't know quite what to say to her and so the social dynamics had changed. And then after church, when her friends typically went to brunch somewhere, well now this woman couldn't go because she was responsible for dropping this other woman back off at the bus stop. Right? And so it was fun the first Sunday and then it started to get less fun. It started to get less convenient and joy was there the first Sunday and eventually that joy almost started to feel like like resentment. And she knew she shouldn't feel this way, but look at how this had messed up her Sunday morning. So finally the church-going woman did something that she felt she had to do. She signed up to teach Sunday school, which was going to require her to be at church an hour early. And then she also took a different route out of the neighborhood that didn't go past the bus stop. And she thought to herself, there is no way that this woman would want to come to church a full hour early and wait while I teach Sunday school, right? And, and besides, I'm going to be impacting the kingdom of God a whole lot more by teaching all of these kids, the youth of the future, like rather than, than just giving a ride to that one person, right? I, I'm still serving God's mission, right? So, again, you can see it. I think we could all relate to what this feeling would be like and it's a very sobering illustration of how we can be totally willing to support Jesus' mission until the point that it actually starts to impact our regular life. So let me ask you a question. What would it have been like if this is how Jesus treated us? If Jesus was more interested in the idea of rescuing us from sin than actually doing it. If Jesus was, you know, totally on board with the mission of salvation right up to the point where it started making him personally uncomfortable. What if Jesus had viewed his life on this earth like a short-term mission trip, and as soon as things started to get hard, he was ready to go home? Well, Jesus wouldn't have got very far with a life like that, and neither would we. With such a hesitant, non-committal, part-time savior, our sins would remain unpaid for. And we would be stuck facing God's judgment one day on our own, with God looking at our life, our so frequently self-focused life. And in that scenario, we'd have, we would have no chance. We know where we would be spending eternity, and it would be far away from God. But thankfully, Jesus didn't treat us the way that we so often treat others. And to understand what Jesus did for us, let's look back one more time to our parable. So this time, look back at the story, the Good Samaritan, and this time imagine that it is you. You are the man who's been robbed. You are the one lying there, beaten and bloody on the side of the road, and one by one, every person that you might expect to reasonably help you has seen you, and they've walked around, and they've passed on by. Until finally comes the last person that you could ever expect to help, a Samaritan. And yet... 
We read, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. Right away, we notice a couple things about the Samaritan. First, he wasn't from there. He was a foreigner. More specifically, he was an enemy, right? Remember the Jews and the Samaritans absolutely hated each other. Secondly, he was willing to risk his own life and limb on a dangerous road to help a fellow human being. Third, he went to tremendous expense to make sure that this complete stranger was cared for. He produced those two denarii, which would have been hundreds and hundreds of dollars in today's money, and then he also promised to pay whatever else was necessary to get this man physically healthy again. When you look at the parable from that perspective, like brothers and sisters, do you see it? The Samaritan is a picture of Jesus. Jesus wasn't from here. He's a foreigner, a stranger. He's from heaven. More than that, Jesus was an enemy to us, right? The sinful mind is hostile to God. Ever since the fall into sin, human beings have been making God our enemy. And yet, Jesus was willing to risk life and limb on a dangerous road to save strangers. In fact, he didn't just risk life and limb. He sacrificed life and limb, allowing himself to be crucified physically for us. But on top of that, Jesus also went to tremendous expense to ensure that we could be nursed back to spiritual health. Not only did he pay the incredible cost that his perfect life lived in our place, not only did he give up his physical blood on the cross, but he also sacrificed himself spiritually as he endured the suffering of hell that we deserve for our sins. A massive price. The Good Samaritan is very much like Jesus. And so as we look at the Good Samaritan and we look at Jesus, we come up with the same question, why? Why would any person go to such incredible lengths for a stranger, for an enemy? And the answer is, because he was thinking of the other person and not himself. Because he was motivated by deep compassion. Because he knew that if he was the one lying on the side of the road, he would want somebody else to come and rescue him. Now this is the great miracle of the gospel. Why would God look at us that way? Like, like his peers, like, like his fellows, like as though we should have anything in common. He's the creator. We are his rebellious creation. God would have every right to squash us like a bug. But in amazing grace and mind-blowing mercy, God chose to squash his son instead. And Jesus volunteered for this mission because he chose. He didn't have to. He chose to view us as his brothers and sisters. And so he washed us with his holy precious blood. And he clothed us with his perfect sin-free life. And he paid the price so that we can enter eternal life in heaven. And now, Jesus invites us to have the same attitude towards all the people around us.
to instinctively view people as brothers and sisters, fellows, people who have something in common. And what we have in common is that we're all candidates for eternal life in heaven through faith in Jesus. And so this is our mission. We've talked about this whole fall, the way that God is setting up his mission in my life, in your life. We know that God is doing things, working in people's lives to draw them closer to him. We know that God is doing things. He is causing your life to intersect with other people's lives and not by accident. We know that God is doing things. We know his word is powerful and effective. And not just when you quote a Bible passage. It is powerful and effective when it comes out of your own mouth, simply explaining to your neighbor what your faith means to you. God is constantly working to set up opportunities for his gospel mission in the lives of the people that are in your life. And now all God is calling you and me to do is keep our eyes open and look for opportunities to show love to others just as love has been shown to us. And when it happens, it is a beautiful thing to see. I'm going to close with one last story. It's actually the exact same story I shared before. It once was a Christian woman, church-going woman, never missed church on Sundays. She drove past the woman at the bus stop. She invited her. The two of them attended again and again. The church-going woman began to feel that she had bitten off more than she could chew. But this time the story has a different ending. This time, the church-going woman doesn't switch up her schedule and take a different route out of the neighborhood that doesn't go past the bus stop because she knows that the places were switched. She would never want somebody else to do that to her. But instead, knowing she needs boundaries and limitations for her own life, what she does is she enlists some help. So she talks to other members of her church and they set up a ride rotation where people are going to take turns giving rides on Sundays and it's not too much for anyone. And then now, as the woman from the bus stop starts riding to church with more and more people, she gets to know more and more people. And socially, it starts to be a little bit less awkward because she has some more friends at the church. Also, instead of calling her the woman from the bus stop, they actually learn what her name is. And they start calling her by her name. And every Sunday, she feels more comfortable with the people in church as she also is growing more comfortable with God and hearing about his grace and love for her. And then... One day, when her ride shows up to the bus stop, there's a second person sitting next to her on the bench. Because now that she has learned the love of Jesus for herself, she is ready to share it with her neighbor. This is just one of a million different examples of what this could look like. It could be a person on your soccer team. It could be a person who lives on your street. It could be your friend from school. It could be the barista that you order coffee from each and every, th every Thursday morning at 9.45 a.m. But God has an endless amount of mission that he is working to accomplish, not only around the world, but also with the people in your own life. And God is doing it, but he wants you to be a part of it. And it is simply a matter of keeping your eyes open and looking for chances to try to love your neighbor the way that Jesus has loved you. May God grant those opportunities to all of us for Jesus' sake. Amen.
And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.